What's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourceFind Asia, host of the Main Channel Podcast and the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel. In this episode, um, I this was a continuation of an interview that I did with Felipe. Um, if you haven't seen that, that's up on the YouTube channel, just talking about his life story, how he came to China, starting you know, an, uh, an export business from China at 18 years old and expanding it into a seven-figure company. Um, so that was interesting in the in the fast fashion lane. And in this particular episode, we did a sort of breakdown of the sustainable fashion industry and where that's going and how what that means and how it works and how that lines up with fast fashion. Um, so Felipe is pretty knowledgeable in the area. Uh, obviously, this is, is his industry. And it was just interesting to hear about how that works and sort of how sometimes not everything is as it seems. And yeah, if you haven't already, check out episode 100 of the Made in China podcast. We did a total review of the 80-20 principle question that I ask every almost every single person I interview on the podcast. So that was like 40 answers that we made into a supercut. And it was, it was very interesting for me listening back on it because one, it kind of forced me to review some of our earlier episodes and <laughs> hear the, the differences in sound quality and even just my interview style. Um, but it also made me realize like there's a lot of episodes, there's a lot of things that I've internalized from the podcast. And, you know, you think that you read it in a book or, you know, somebody told you about it and you find out like, oh, no, actually it was from a question that I asked in the podcast. And towards the end of the podcast, we had a little, little special, uh, special little surprise for you. Um, but you have to listen all the way to the end, till the end of episode 100. So without further ado, enjoy this episode that I did with Felipe. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. All right, man. I usually do the, for the podcast, I do the intros post-production so we can just start talking. We're just talking about how, how we met and then, you know, who the, the mutual friends that we have, like Nick Ramil, obviously, he's like one of the main guys. So yeah, Nick Ramil led to, I'm just trying to think right now. China, no, Nick, I met Nick and then I met, I mean, I met that whole American crew, and then I met um, China Mike, and then I met you through Nick. I'm trying to think of the, the first time, I remember the first time we met was, should have been at the brew, the old yeah, brew. Yeah, yeah, Who was there? Do you remember, like, what? I think it was one of those situations where we both heard of each other, and then... I was hanging out with somebody else there. I think I was with Carl. I'm not sure if it was Carl or I was with someone. Yeah. And it was just like, oh man, Felipe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, Rico. Like, I was like, oh. I, was like, I think it was Carl. Or, I don't know who it was. I was with. But I was definitely with someone. I just can't remember with who. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then you asked me. I think it was Nick, maybe. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been Nick, yeah. But yeah, man, uh, I, I was just, it was cool because when I met you, I was like, oh, Felipe's like, because I'm so used to being the youngest person in all these circles. And yeah. I was like, oh, Felipe's like a year younger than me. I was like, oh, this is cool. I was like, yeah, what's, what's this guy up to? What's his yeah. story? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, you don't meet too many uh, young guys coming out here and doing business. I haven't, I mean, I haven't, I mean, probably only you in my books that I know. Yeah, I mean, for me, I thought that 22 was, was crazy to come down, but then you were like 19. Like, yeah. I was like, hey, this, uh, <laughs> it's no a different, problem. that's a different thing. What did you think of when you first met Nick? Like that time, uh, 2012, 2013, must have been like around the time when they were doing Lexel watches. Vincero. Vincero. So it was after Lexel. Oh, uh, Lexel was like finishing, and Vincero went in. Was just starting. Okay. Vincero went in. Yeah. And you were hanging out with Tim as well. Yeah, I was hanging out with Tim, but I clicked more with Nick. So well, it seems like, I mean, Nick is a people guy, like, you know, he's super, I mean, like, super outgoing. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, I only hung out with, yeah, but, I mean, because also Nick, uh, Tim was like with this girlfriend, so I didn't get to hang out with him, but Nick was, yeah, I mean, 
only time the connections really worked out was going out with Nick Moore. Yep. Then Tim, and then, yeah. But eventually they ended up moving, so that's why. And like I haven't talked, I haven't talked to Tim in like ever since I ever saw since him he China. left. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's come back to China yeah. since, right? Yeah, no. He was just gone, and he was like, yeah. you know. But I mean, he's uh, they've been growing Vincero from from the states, right? Like, yeah, Vincero has been going good. From what I've heard, yeah, it's been doing really well, actually. Did you meet any of the other guys? Like, um, some dudes, Ryan, Ryan, uh, Baltran, Baltran, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. We hung out with them. We that's our Europe trip crew. Ryan, Beltrid, yeah. Um, I hung out with, yeah. With, Ryan was here more. Yeah. A little bit more here longer. After and Tim left. After Tim left, and we met up in LA when I was in LA. Um, yeah, I've been, been, yeah, with Ryan, I'm closer than with Tim. But Ryan, yeah. Ryan's a cool dude. Pretty, I, it's pretty cool what they've done with, with that brand. Like, from considering, like, I remember watching the old YouTube videos. And he just like came to visit Tim and Nick in the summer, and then ended up deciding to like launch a watch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, that Kickstarter went cut, really well. Like, cut to like what? Ten years later, it's yeah. multi multi million dollar company. No, like, it's great. Like, that's a yeah. crazy success story. That's good. Yeah, that's a really success. I mean, good success story. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And I know they're planning and having other stuff that's coming out that's gonna elevate it more. What I mean, we talked a little bit in the video about like your beginning and all that stuff. Like, what about something that you just mentioned was sustainability and fashion in, in China these days? Sustainability. I mean, that's a really interesting subject to go into to fashion just itself. Um, first of all, like even just. Um, the change that China has done in the last three years with sustainability or is more sustainable, yep. um, it's actually been, it's been admiring because before it was like the Wild West. You can dump dye, denim dye in rivers or, no, or don't have a proper water filtration. Denim is really harmful for the environment just because of the washing. And all those chemicals end up in streams or rivers, whatever. Yeah. And then we're the ones that end up consuming it. As I, it's in our food. Yeah. You know, you know the water that's used to irrigate the water, the, the plants or the fishes that are in the lakes or oceans. So China, in the last yeah three years, four years, they've been really stepping up their game and having more factories have a proper disposal of the water or I guess filtration, filtration. and I think China in, in itself it's been becoming so aware of the sustainable aspect of it just because they live in this pollution of it yeah I mean you go to the factories and you see it's unbelievable to see how much wastage there is for fabric and all that ends up being burned. Yeah. I mean, that's not good for anybody. But you really, like, once you're here, I mean, why I decided to kind of go into the sustainable business was just because I was in the heart of it. I was immersed in that. Well, I mean, when you're living in China, you can imagine how much pollution there is just in the air. But you're, you're really in, in, in the heart of it. That makes it wow, is this what fashion is doing to the environment? Yeah. And whoever you ask, either fashion is the third most polluted industry in the world or fourth. So it's a lot of damage. And it let, it let, me, it let me to find new um, opportunities that I never thought that there would be in the fashion industry, uh, in the sustainable aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but it's been... A very interesting, I guess, course, because what I've learned is that fashion, uh, actually, China has very innovative technology for sustainable, to, to break down or to create sustainable materials. Okay. They're more advanced than, actually, there's a certain technology that, that's only here, here in Austria or in Germany, the country that they have it. But in the U.S., nobody has it. And I'll give you one example. I was meeting with a company from Hong Kong, 
who they've been around for 40 years and they're interested sustainable. Um, and I met with these people and they were telling me how it's all a very corrupt thing with the big companies as well, in a way that they are, they have to meet a certain requirement of how much, um, I forgot the, the, the number of it or the standard of it, but they have to reach a certain thing that it makes them an environmental friendly company. Yeah. And there's just so much corruption in there. And they were telling me, for example, when H&M and Zara has those recycle bins in the Europe countries or in the United States, well, what do you do? You take it to the recycle center and you think that it's being produced into something else, but it's actually not because, first of all, China doesn't accept any more trash or wastage. China doesn't accept any more wastage. And all these companies, they're saying they're doing something with this trash, but it's not because that trash has to be brought into China to be able to make something out of it. Yeah. Um, but that just tells you that how much China is kind of ahead in, in a way of the sustainable, sustainable aspect of fashion. Uh, but yeah, fashion in itself, it's just, uh, it's different. It's, it's become, it's changing nowadays. Now, now we're talking about artificial intelligence. Like, how does fashion and artificial intelligence connect? Well, how is that even, um, how can you even be sustainable from artificial intelligence? Well, what's happening is that we're producing too much, too fast, too much and too fast. And what artificial intelligence is enabling for big companies like H&M and these other bigger companies, it's making the right amount of products for the right type of demographic geography of where these products are going to go to. Yeah. So less of, I guess, wastage, less of uh, production and action in the factories, less storage, less carbon dioxide from transportation. I mean, less than ever from artificial intelligence. So fashion has been taking a very interesting course. Yeah. Um, and of course, how do, the, how do the factories, how are the factories adapting to things like that? Because I know, you know how it is in China. It's like the factories want to do 20,000 pieces or 10,000 pieces. They don't necessarily want to do 100 pieces or something. Pieces. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the factories here in China, you can make 100 pieces. Yeah. Yeah, it's doable. The thing is the fabric. That's the problem. Yeah, fabric have to buy them fabric has to be bought in bulk yeah. up to a thousand yards. Which a thousand yards it's equivalent to maybe a thousand three hundred shirts or a thousand four hundred shirts. Uh, depending on the shirt. But the factories can do any quantity as long as the fabric mill. But the fabric mills are becoming more aware of the situation. And they're producing fabrics that are common for everybody. And that's just and we take that back into, okay, how does that translate into the actual fashion of what people are wearing? Well, it's changing into a way that it's, people are going more for the classic look. Yeah. Sim simplicity. So you're not making all these complicated fabrics. You're making a common fabric that's going to be able to be a fit for everybody, for all your customers. That's from Asia, that's from South America, North America, or Europe. So when you when you say simple so what look. I'm saying, so what I'm saying is that the mills are understanding that quantities are not a big thing anymore. Yeah. So they're making stock fabrics for companies that are smaller to buy, and I buy three rolls, two rolls of fabrics. And that's going to enable for fashion to reduce its mass production or reduce or yeah reduce overproduction okay that's what happened so it's it's a lot of changing right now in the day but it's going for better it's going for better and I think um, as right now it's a very young thing um, right now there's technology being developed it's sorry it's being accepted by the consumer as years come by next two years new technology is going to be developing 
by maybe five years, it's going to be into the mass production. And then 10 years, everything's going to be sustainable. Everything's going to have to be sustainable some, some way or the other. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you said that the technology in China for sustainable wear is, is developing so quickly because I think in other areas, they're kind of slow to adapt to it. Like um, with bags and shoes and like uh, recycled plastics and things like that. You, like, you have to think about that. Also, why China has been advancing so much to it is because here's where the heart of the production is. Yeah. There's no production. There's not much production happening in the United States. There's not. So, for I'll tell you an example. A machine for um, fabric, for an actual fabric to produce um, the, the fabric, the fabric mill, that machine costs about $600,000, almost half a million. Yeah. Um, and usually it requires two machines to three machines. It's, it's called a vortex spinning machine. Um, and for these machines to kind of make their money is that they have to be running 24 hours every day. Yeah. And that's how I mean, you see the profit. But imagine a factory in the U.S. that's getting any orders. They're not going to be able to sustain themselves with an investment of $600,000. And they have to get like two or three machines. Yeah. Um, so also, it's just because there's, there's work for them, the machines here. And I think it's also why there's a lot of Chinese companies investing in these sustainable machines because they see that, okay, well, we're producing a lot of stuff now. Let's make it sustainable in a way because that's kind of what the trend is. And in the U.S., I mean, I don't know what companies leading into that, but I know that there's not this type of technology there, 100%, because they don't, they don't have it yet. I mean, the one in Hong Kong is developing and it's coming out with one in 2020, which is able to break down polyester. Do you, you remember um, Carl was working for Thread? Yeah, yeah. And you guys, you guys were discussing certain yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. We like, There's something around that, something around this yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that's happening is uh, by the time this podcast comes out, my podcast that I did with Carl should be out. So you should listen to that if you want to know what Thread does. Um, one of the things that. Uh, that is really big right now in the sustainable world is recycled polyester. Um, there's cons and there's pros about that. And it's up to the consumer to be, or it's actually up to the brand to and the consumer to be able to educate yourself on what good you're doing. Because a lot of people say, oh no, recycled polyester is bad. You're leaking microfibers into the ocean or you're doing this. And it's true, 100% true. Um, but there's a ways around that. There's new technology that enables that uh, that problem to go away. And as a consumer, you kind of have to figure out, okay, well, they're doing something. Now, what do I have to do? What do I have to buy to make this not a problem? I yeah. can give you a good example. I was in Canton Fair, and I was having a meeting with uh, Whirlpool. Oh, it was amazing. Um, just because... They were so clueless about the problem that it's happening with washer machines. And actually, uh, the filtration system is not good enough. And I brought this matter to them, and I thought, you know, Whirlpool, it's a, it's a huge washer machine company. Yeah. And I thought they would be kind of having some knowledge about it, but they had completely no clue. And I was working with a project with JLo at that time, and... I knew if I was going to propose just to, to... Just to clarify, that's Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez, yes. <laughs> and I was going to... We were going to propose this idea to them, but I knew I was going to get a lot, a lot of backfire. Like, because if they're going to do the research, they're going to say, oh, well, microfibers are being leaked into the ocean. Yeah. But I was like, okay, fuck, how do you solve this problem? How, how can this... Be? And while I did... I was doing research and doing research, and it turns out that there's a filtration system that you can buy separate that you can put in your washing machine and it, and it um, filters 99% of the micropolyester. I'm like, well, why isn't this into our ordinary washing machines? And it, and it turns out that it's very expensive. That is expensive to integrate. It's not expensive. It's just the technology hasn't advanced to put it in there. But what I say about the consumer has to be educated is that there's probably... Maybe this year there's new 
washing machine bags. There's new filters, filtration system. There's new stuff that is out, yeah. but we just don't know about it. So, yeah, I love this topic because a lot of people when I say, oh, you're using recycled products, I'm like, yeah, I'm saving uh, plastic bottles from going out into the ocean and being in whales, man. I mean, you open a stomach of a whale and it's full of plastic. I mean, wouldn't you want that to be eliminated somehow? Yeah. And plastic is such a bad component. And there's so much plastic that countries don't know what to do with it. U.S. has stockpiles of plastic. They don't know what to do with it. Well, I noticed that, I mean, like the U.S. and the Philippines now, like you can't have plastic straws, right? Like Yeah, like, which is great. It's, I mean, that one of the things that made it viral is that, I don't know if you ever saw a turtle video. Yeah. The turtle a had a, a straw stuck in the mouth or in, in the nose. Yeah. That was horrible. I mean, no, the thing is, like, what was funny is I was listening to a comedian's podcast and he was like, it's obviously frustrating because the straws, the paper straws don't last very long. But he was like, yo, you, you, put, a you put a paper straw into a Starbucks cup, which has that big ass plastic cover. So, I mean, you're still using plastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what are we doing here, man? Like, no, no, yes. <laughs> and, I mean, like, I, if you're, I think in all, just straws should be Eliminated. I mean, just in general. And I think one of the reasons is that the straws are very small, that they get everywhere. Yeah. So it's not an easy way to recycle them or do something with them. But um, yeah, you, you get a lot of a lot of arguments once you're talking to people that are very naive and close about it. And they're like, well, yeah, you're doing it. Like, but have you done your research? Yeah. Do you, you actually know that there's a solution to it? So why don't you try to bring awareness to it and then maybe we can all make a difference in the recycled polyester or microfiber problems. And, but there's, there's, there's solutions that are coming out. Um, but yes, you just have to be your eyes out looking for them. So what are the main, what are the main ways that people can, can support I mean, the solutions? Over? For, for example, like, uh, I mean, being sustainable is just, in all, in all honesty, is just buying less. Yeah. You, I know that the average you American person has you know it was like 150 kg of clothes a year compared to India where they have only 2 kg of clothes that they have I mean that's just a great amount so this is just clothes that they own clothes that they own yeah. clothes that they own a year for a year um, not clothes that they're buying but no, just no, clothes that they own I yeah. mean yeah it's unbelievable so you can just see how how impulsive buyers, impulsive buyers people are. And if you can slow down, and also it's a fault of the brands, of Zara, H&M. Well, yeah, I mean, there is, because they're doing, coming out with new things. And I mean, that's the goal of the business. new things that are not durable. That's the problem. You wear a Zara t-shirt, yep. and it has a hole by maybe the 10th wash, 6th wash. Yep. If you buy something, I remember I had a friend who had a, a jacket from Japan, that was from the nine, 1991. It was almost a 20-year-old jacket. I was like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's more than 20 years. But, I mean, the quality was still the same. But that was, like, premium quality material. And to this day, he still has it. He still is wearing it. But with fast fashion brands, it's, it's just that you're making too much and that very cheap quality. And it also has to be affordable, right? Like, affordable, I mean, that's, yeah. That's but then, so that's the thing. That's, okay, yeah. And it comes into the talk of yeah, sustainable. It's not. It's not cheap. Yeah. Because of technology, but that's, technology. That's the number one killer. Yeah. Like but the thing is that technology is advancing now. That it's going to make things more affordable for for the normal average consumer to have it in their hands. Uh, but I, I just think it's um, fashion. It's been doing through a change that's going to be a per. Uh, it's a positive way, but it requires more people and bigger brands to step in, and because they have a bigger voice, you know, their their bigger brands can dictate a trend in a fashion. But yeah, it, it takes time. It's it's gonna be time. Well, I remember if I remember uh, when Carl was working for Thread, he was saying like Nike was working with them and like you know trying to come up with ways to to create sneakers with the material that they were using. So I mean. Changing. Definitely, yeah. Adidas came out with the collection. Nike, uh, one of the leaders in 
fashion, high fashion runway is Stella McCart McCartney. She is amazing. I mean, what that woman's been able to do. Back in the days, she was she was doing this since the 90s, and I mean, actually probably the 80s. And she, the people thought she was crazy. Like, no, yeah. no way, impossible. And now she's finally getting the recognition of like, wow, you you were plotting the way for sustainable fashion. Um, and yeah, all her stuff is from organic cotton. And one of the also the very important aspect is the uh, the work labor. I don't know if you've heard, but there's been a lot of accidents in uh, Bangladesh from fires. So not having a proper factory, I guess, equipped with fire equipment. Fire, fire, fire safety. Fire, fire safety. Fire following. It's something fire common over there. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't know, why do that? But um, it, it's been, I mean, well, it's, it's like, you know, why spend the money? And you know, the laws are not, probably not very strict on those yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, right. And I, I think it's, you know, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's something, it's a human thing. I think business is about people. And when you're abusing people like that, where you, you don't have a proper, um, they don't have the proper safety yeah. in, their, in their work environment, that's that's not good. That's not good, but that's good because there's certifications that requires you to have this sort of business. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's like things are moving in a positive direction, but even like, for example, people talk about like if you're a vegan, um, you're living a more sustainable life because you're not consuming as much and you're not... Uh, producing as much waste, but the thing is, it's like you said, it's like so expensive to do that. Like, yeah, I mean, the average be person here in China, yeah, the average, yeah, if you're gonna be vegan in China, like, good luck, yeah, how much money you're gonna be spending on your food on a daily basis. And it's, it's even the same thing in the states, it's like it's, it's still quite expensive to actually be buying all organic food and right, you know, yeah. all you know, that kind of stuff. So, and I, I don't believe in organic, I think organic is uh, a very a rabbit hole and here's why because my father he's got a he has a farm in Colombia and I've been to that farm and I asked him I'm like is he he has strawberry he has everything I mean, yeah. like everything you can grow in Colombia I asked him can you everything you can grow in Colombia <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything you can grow in Colombia and um, I was telling him like how can you I know, like, what, what do they talk about organic? Like, because he's in the industry. It's like, well, you can't really be organic in any yeah. crops because there's uh, there's bugs that are gonna come and kill your your. Okay, so yeah, there's bugs that are gonna come and kill your eat your, your crops, eat your crops. Your crops. Yeah. So no matter what, you still have to put uh, pesticides. Pesticide. But one thing though, I do agree is in the meat when you start putting antibiotics. Like for example, the chicken. Like I know, I mean, my dad's farm has chickens everywhere. But in you know, the U.S., the chickens are in like a little space, and that's all they see. And they, they grow in two weeks, and in they two don't. Weeks. I don't agree with that. Yeah. I, like that's something. The ridiculously meat. sized, right, giant no. chickens. Like, and I mean, also the meat. Like for the cows, they, I know they give them steroids or something. That's not. I mean, that I completely disagree. I think that should be not allowed. But uh, for vegetables and so, I mean, even organic cotton, like it's not organic. It's not really organic. It's just a. It's not uh, using um, not using certain chemicals to make it grow faster. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's the thing. Um, but yeah, not, nothing is really organic. It's like the same thing with. I mean, I, I always look at it like this: is like whenever people say organic, or they say zero calories, or they say like made in whatever country. Like if it's made in Italy, it's like, is it really made in? Because I mean, by law, for example, if you uh, if you're Louis Vuitton or Gucci or whatever, and you buy, sh you make a leather product, a leather shoe, and it says made in Italy. All they have to do is they can source the leather from China. They can make it in China, and then when they when it comes to Italy, they just have to put one or two things on it in Italy for them to have that made in Italy logo. Nike was on the doing this. Yeah. Nike was doing this in like 2000 and they got caught where they were um, they were making their shoes abroad and all they were doing was like putting the sole of the, the, of the shoe, shoe and, and yeah. then lacing it up. Yeah. Made in the US. Made in the US. Yeah. yeah. Well legally, I don't know about the, the US laws, but legally like in Italy that's fine. 
but like people just don't know, right? Like, right. I mean, yes. <laughs> and, and I think also that's how fashion is changing, where it's going to be more transparency to the consumer. I think you have to, there's a very important thing in business, which is trust. Yeah. That's a tangible thing. If you're able to get someone's trust in a business, you're going to have them for life. I mean, and how do, how do a good example is Everlane. Um, Everlane is a fashion brand. They're based out in uh, San Francisco. And they are very transparent with their price point. I don't say it's the right price point, but I guess they're making an effort of being transparent. And that's something people are really liking. It's just the transparency of the cost breakdown. Yep. Um, also be transparent with the factories. Show videos. Uh, ask, uh, do interviews in the factories of people's condition. And I've been to a lot of factories. And I can't say that I've been to one that I'm like, wow, this is horrible working condition. Actually, in India, I did see. That was horrible working condition. But that was four or five years ago. So actually, six years ago now. Um, but yeah, like these factories, they feed their they feed their workers some factories even house yeah. their workers uh, some up, have put daycares. them up in their dorms yeah some have daycares for their kids yeah so like working conditions are not bad oh. it's definitely improving I mean uh, especially some some of the factories that we work with they uh, they've gone through like the Disney certification thing and with Disney it's like yeah their working conditions have to be a certain level they can only work about Five, uh, five days a week, on average 40 hours a day. I mean, 40 hours a week, so eight hours a day. And then, like, usually they have housing allowance or actual dorms. Um, one factory that we went to, they had, like, an actual, like, school that they made specifically for the factory workers, kids, so the kids were going to school for free. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. That's something good. I mean, and it's... Um also, one thing that's happening in China with doing business is that I realized that it's more harder to get workers. Yeah. The reason why is because the, uh, the new generation is going to school and aspiring to be not a factory worker. Yeah. And what the majority of the people that you're seeing at the factories are older people, much older people. And one of the ways that factories have been able to win over the workers is by the better workforce of having uh, these amenities available for them as to a daycare, a school, housing, food. Yeah. I mean, it, it's stuff that factories are doing to keep the workers happy. I think it's good. And also, I mean, because the, the wages are going up, now it's like, okay, if we go work in a factory that's just outside Shanghai, maybe you can make 4,000 RMB a month, right? But you have to move to another city. Whereas maybe you can stay in your own city and make 3,000 or 3,500, but you're living at home. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's another thing these days. It's like, you can still work in your hometown and make a decent wage. And it's like, then it doesn't make sense for you to move city. So like a lot of guys don't want to, they don't want to go there. Yeah, no, and, and the, most of the factories are in small cities. Yeah. Uh, just because of the rent. Yeah. Uh, gas bills, electricity bills, all kinds of stuff. So, well, they're always like in small cities, just outside of a larger city. Right, in small cities, and, uh, and and that's one of the problems. I mean, I have one factory who shut down, and they're starting like back up again. Shut down. They shut down of, completely, just because, because they were um, they only had me as a customer, and it was a big factory to run. I had like 35, 40 workers. Um, and I wasn't able to keep them all busy because I have different factories. And they had to shut down. And then I called the guy actually like four days ago and I asked him, hey, what's up? I haven't spoken with him in like three years. Hey, what's up? What are you doing up to? And I was like, yeah, I started a new factory. I have 15 workers. I'm trying to get more, but it's very hard. Yeah. Uh, 15 workers can produce about 2,000, 3,000 garments a month. Uh, and it's the same topic that I've been hearing with a lot of other factories is that, no, the workers, we don't have workers. It's hard to get workers nowadays. Uh, just because, again, the younger generation is going to school and aspiring to be something bigger. And I think that's one of the problems that China is going to be facing. Well, basically what's happening is the younger generation are becoming they're millennials, man. Like, they want to have better amenities they yeah. want to have you know weekends they want to yes, yes. they want to go travel with their friends and have a good time and make money and you know not necessarily be stuck in a factory for six seven days a week you know yeah it's definitely changing yeah. 
which I just find fascinating. Like I, I was, I mean, me and Mike talked about it a bunch of times on the podcast. Like even within our own employees, there's, I've seen a a change in mindset within a few years. So like the difference between an employee that's 25 and a, an employee that's 21. It's huge. Like the way they think about work and approaching, you know, their day-to-day life is like so different. It has to do a lot with the, the information that they're getting in. There's so much now information and new way of thinking and yeah. with technology. It's like before with them. How do they spread ideas? It was yeah. hard. It was very hard for them. Now it's like, oh, you go online and we chat, and you can see this person's in Italy or this person. Are like, oh, I want to be in Italy. And I got to work this. And I gotta you know, they're different. using VPNs, so then yeah. they're on Instagram and Facebook. Like, right. So it's changing. It's changing for China. Um, I don't see China being a production company. I think it's going to happen. What happened to Japan? Well, I think. I think yeah. I think. But the thing is, I think China still has like we were talking about before. It's so expensive to buy some of this machinery that anything that requires high level of machinery and automation is still going to be done. It's still going to be here, China. Workforce, labor-wise, that's going to be moving somewhere. So the factories are moving more and more towards automation. Yeah, I mean... uh, And then all of the stuff that it requires labor is going to the other countries outside of of China. Which actually, speaking of which, I wanted to ask you about because you deal with a lot of textiles. Are you... I know you're branching out to other countries, but have you done a lot of stuff in Vietnam and Thailand? Uh, So, I did production in India. It went horrible. Uh, (laughs) It was just the infrastructure... Like, we had to pay people in customs to let the goods out. I mean, you hear that... Yeah, like in South America, in India, but like we were exporting it out. You know, we were investing in the country, we were, you know, putting money in the country. How do you gonna charge us, or how do we have to pay under the table to get the goods out of India? Like that's not right. I mean, usually you pay to get it in. Yeah. You don't want products in. But no, we had to pay the goods. Can it took like a week? No, then they came back with the document was wrong. Um, so it took like two weeks to get out of customs. And just the whole, sh- like the infrastructure of India was not good at that time. So I dropped India. Delivery time was horrible. Fast fashion is about weeks now. Um, with India production, it was taking me three months to have something finished. But like I said, nowadays things are developing. There's more technology going into these countries. And maybe there's a better button factor button uh, machine that's able to produce buttons in, within a week. Yeah. Because a lot of the accessories are coming from China. Again, the technology is here and the supplies are here. So that's what takes a long time. Sometimes you, you buy, you make it in, in, in India, but the buttons from China, then the uh, little accessories from China, the only thing is just the fabric. Or maybe sometimes not even the fabric. Yeah. So that's what causes such a delay. But India was not good. I, I checked out into Vietnam. Um, sorry, India wasn't good for me. Uh, can't say India is not good. Uh, maybe they built their infrastructure a little bit better. With well, I, th- the new I think government. it's. I think it's just developing. Like, it, it is developing. Those, yeah, there, yeah. there have been new governments. It's going to be tough. I have another question, but I want you to talk about like okay. Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam. I've been to Vietnam multiple times. One of the things is that it's the same thing. It's Chinese owned. Delivery time takes a while, um, and it's for very classic designs. It's polo t-shirts, nothing like crazy fast fashion. Again, speed. Speed is hard to do in countries like Vietnam, Cambodia, Bangladesh. Was it cheaper at least? It's cheaper, yes, but if you're doing mass production, we're talking about 5,000, 10,000 pieces. Yeah, you can get a really good price, but with all the headache, I mean, I know this guy, his name is Chris, they call him Vietnam Chris, he's been in, uh, he's known very well in the garment industry, and he frankly told me, he's like, no, well, did you get in at this price, it's not a much difference in Vietnam. Um, for that quantity. For that quantity, right. And again, we're in fashion and we're trying to reduce the quantities, we're trying to eliminate that overstock. Yeah. So. Now companies are very afraid of going doing 
2,000, 3,000 pieces. Unless it's a classic design. Classic, classic. Because they know it's just going to be something that's something always going to sell, sell. It's always no in season. Yeah. But if it's a fast fashion, for example, right now, like uh, the, we talk about the fashion trends that were at the beginning of the year was animal print. Mm. Every girl would look like a cheetah out there, you know? So if you do that in Vietnam, it would have arrived by... I mean, three, three would have been arriving to the U.S. within like a month and a half, yeah. two months. Uh, and that would have been and out. And the trend is... So, I mean, out. okay, so fast fashion. Okay, so Vietnam is a, one of the only other countries that you... In I've, been, I've been to, it takes a long time. And Philippines? You... Philippines, I've been for fabric. Yeah. Um, uh, the work labor there for, for stitching and sewing is still very new and they don't know, they don't have too much experience. Uh, but as to developing fabric, it's, it's becoming a place. Have you done anything in Cambodia? No, I have not done in Cambodia. I've looked into Cambodia, but... Um, that, that must I, I be also wild, it, like, infrastructure, like... Like, I mean, any countries like we're talking about, Bangladesh, Cambodia, yeah. uh, Burma, uh, Vietnam, Laos. All these countries are the ones that majority of stuff is coming from China. Yeah. So you have to be able to have that two month, three month period of production on your notes because it's just so it's almost like if you want to save money, you have to be able to produce a high quantity, and then also quantity. you need to have enough time, enough time so it doesn't work for fast fashion. And then, yeah, it doesn't work for. I mean, like if you're doing leggings, yoga yeah. leggings. Yeah, go to Vietnam. Vietnam is a great place. Cheap, and actually they're really becoming really good in uh, making leggings or sport or, or jeans or, or jeans or anything. Yeah, it's like great. But if you're making fast fashion or like, like like fashion over style misguided pretty little thing so what does fast fashion mean like how quickly do you have to turn around fast fashion thing? means that this is how fast fashion is it means that kim kardashian posts a picture of a crazy dress that she has an animal print dress uh let's say an animal print dress within that 24 hours fashion nova will have it saying it's ready in three days come and buy it pre-order it that's where, how crazy where is, it is fashion over Fashion Nova is from, uh, from like US. where are they buying their stuff from? No, oh, from China. It. Yeah, I'm saying. Oh, they're, yeah, they're 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 producing it. They either produce it in China or they're producing producing it in the U.S. Uh, but yeah, within three days they say, "Hey, come and get it, pre-order." And that's how fast fashion is. So you need to be able to produce adapt, the products, adapt, and, and how quick in China, and then ship it out. Um, China, it takes about I mean, 15 days. So compared 15 days to three months to two yeah. months, it's, a, it's, it's fast. And I mean, you, some you, factories can even make it in one week. Yeah. And then you're shipping it by, by sea or by, by air? No, by air. By air, yeah. by air, it gets there in a day. So you ship it today. It takes two days, the whole process. Clear customs, arrive. Give it to you. But that's how fast fashion is. It, it's just, it's a new trend every week. Um, and that's why also back fast fashion is getting getting so back so much backfires just because it's so fast. Yeah, uh, and there's so much development. Well, it, it's I mean at the end of the day, it is, it does kind of it does kind of lend itself to the Instagram, Snapchat generation of like, oh you know I want to watch a video in less than a minute like you know what I mean like so it's the same the thing with fashion yeah, yeah, yeah. everything's. Everything's becoming fast-paced and we're short attention spans. Becoming slower, in a yeah. way, I think that's what I say. But yeah, no, that's how fast fashion is. And another place to touch on manufacturing has been Italy. Italy has been an interesting place. I never thought manufacturing in Italy would be an option, but because um, you'd always think that anywhere in Europe would be expensive. Right. I mean, not in Europe in general, because doing more research, Portugal yep. is very cheap in production. Well, they had a tough tough economy yeah they have a tough economy i mean like the average i know the average it's like a little bit more than even china they make um it's not portugal is not considered a third world country i think it's fourth or something sorry if I, I don't get the statistics right but what i'm trying to say is that their their level of income it's not it's, it's super low very they're low. still developing countries they're still very Europe, developing yeah. countries yeah. um so countries like even italy italy is still their economy is not that great, um, and labor there it's still fairly cheap. And it has to do with a lot of, um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's a contradiction, but it has to do with a lot of immigrants. 
but immigrants are going there from Syria, from all these countries that don't really have a future, and they're going out to these countries to hopefully make something and out of their, you know, sorry, um, to, to, to have a better life. Yeah, to have a better life um, and to send money back to their family back at home. So it gives hope for certain people. But I don't think they should be abused in a way. But Italy, uh, it's a it's a it's a place for manufacturing. And also, like you said before, uh, when we were talking last week, getting that made in Italy. Of course, yeah. Made, I mean, yeah, making that made <laughs> for in that Italy. Cost, like, for that price. Like, I think that's what people. So you have a T-shirt that's saying "Made in Italy." It's like, oh wow, made in Italy. That's kind of crazy, but it's practically the same thing being made in China. No big difference. Except, yeah, I don't know. You just get that that stamp, you know. It's the consumer's mentality. It's hard. I mean, I, I fought for it too. I bought a uh, some shoes in Italy that were made in Italy, and yeah. like. So it's not different. I mean, it's not like it's kind of... Well, I mean, that's the thing. Is like what I always tell people is that China, if you you can get the cheapest stuff, you can also get the best quality stuff. It just depends on how much you want to pay for it. Yeah. You know, but like I buy my uh, my dress shoes and going to a railway for $30, $40, I know for a fact that those same shoes in Canada would have been $300. Right, yeah. And they last me two or three years and it's like good quality leather shoes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really don't care about the brands. And, and, and this, also, the thing is that when you're buying stuff, you're buying the brand name. Yeah, the logo, the stuff. I mean, to make the Louis Vuitton bag, it doesn't take a thousand five hundred to actually make that bag. It's it maybe the the most expensive you can get into that the actual fabric of it or the leather of it. It's maybe up to a hundred dollars. The cost for making one bag maybe fifty. That's the most expensive. Let's say 150 just to make that bag. And of course, then yeah. you slap that logo on it. Yeah, you slap that in, and now it's a thousand five hundred. You, uh, I mean, most of your, uh, most of your brands are more like in the. What did you call it? Like the, it's not. They're my, so the, most of the brands that I work market? with, um, they are fast fashion brands. Consider fast fashion brands. Um, what do I mean by fast fashion? There's like different types of. Uh, levels in fashion it's either very cheap uh, we're talking about like stuff that you wash and the next I mean next next wear it's not really good and would you consider H&M fast fashion H&M is fast fashion yeah. so uh, some stuff in H&M lasts uh, Named five, seven, ten wears. I, I just, I know I, I bought expensive stuff, and I've also bought, but I know the value of it. I got a, I've gotten a couple like sweaters or cardigans from H and M that lasted, you know, a year or you know. But, yeah. uh, there's some sort of yeah, the last. I mean, I've, but yeah, like a t-shirt or something like that. Like they start having little holes yeah, here and there, so it becomes loose. Or, yeah, it becomes, I mean, it, it's a certain tear wear of the fast fashion, but because again, it's you're buying a cheap product. Um, but for example, I bought a pair of Justra jeans or Levi's. Levi's is a great company too. Those those jeans last for a while, um, and they never they never lost their fit. They never lost their their structure. Um, but that's stuff like you can notice it. But if I buy a Zara, I bought a Zara. I bought a Zara. It was a it was a jacket like a hoodie. And yeah, by like the seventh, I mean, wash, I started having a hole by the armpit. And that's where usually the most of the problems happen, by the seams. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, I call H&M, Zara, all those kind of fast fashion. Fashion is going to be changing though. Like I said, it's, it's going to start because technology is going to advance. There's going to be... Um, robots making shirts and stuff and it's going to change more to a personalized more of a story product yeah than actually doing a mass production or maybe custom custom made yeah, yeah. Um, well, i mean I, I mean for me just because because of where we are and 
you know, now that I have a little bit of money, like I value more custom stuff, like, you know, just getting my, my shirts custom made and things like that. Like, you know. And it's actually good in a way because it's less, uh, it may come a little bit more expensive, but it's less of overproducing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's more sustainable if it's personalized, more custom to you. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, typically when I go, like there's a, there's a lady that does my suits and my shirts in Shenzhen. And when I go there, I have to pick from fabrics that she already has. But she has like a lookbook and it's like, okay, okay. So you're being sustainable even though you don't know you're being sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> I tell my brother, he's uh, he's just gotten into like, I've, I, I've been educating him about sustainability because he's doing the marketing, the Instagram marketing for it. And when I go home, uh, I see that he's wearing all my clothes. I'm like, probably you're being sustainable even though you're not wearing it because you're upcycling my stuff. Yep. <laughs> you're not buying anything. Oh, shoot. I'm sustainable. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I'm going to start adding that into my intro and in YouTube videos like sustainable CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talk, something uh, that you brought up before is the YG media stuff. And, like, oh, yeah. So I started this thing when I was here in China um, because I knew what content how content was so important um, for marketing in itself. And I thought about how I can bring some, I mean, I always thought about well, how can I do business in China, not take something out of China, do business here in China. And I thought about this uh, this YG Media. So what YG Media does, it's we go out to uh, certain exotic locations, uh, exotic monies and beautiful beauty uh, sceneries, so, such as like the Philippines. Uh, where do we go? Philippines. And we went to Thailand multiple times. And what we do is we take a few models and we shoot a whole catalog and do videos for brands that are not able to afford a whole team to fly out to the Philippines or Thailand. So we do it at a level that's affordable for any brand to have content creation. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, uh, I mean, everything's visual. So it's, you know, nowadays it's a, every, everybody must have content. Yeah. That's what YG Media is. Nice. And when did when did you start that? I started that about a, two years ago. Now. I think a year or two years ago. Started with uh, I was such a funny story. Everybody, well, people didn't think I was gonna do it, or they didn't believe in it. And I was, I mean, like my business was going good for manufacturing, all that. And I just wanted something new, a challenge. I mean, that's kind of what I wake up to every day—a new challenge. Um, and I was going through Canton Fair, booth by booth, selling this. I mean, I was like, I don't know if there's ever been like a foreigner selling something in Canton Fair, like just walking and like doing indoors, but I was in a territory I didn't know. I mean, first of all, how do you even provide something for the Chinese? Um, and I was going to booth and booth and with my little iPad and saying, hey, these are the pictures that we can do. And it was pictures that I just got off Instagram. Yeah. It was a whole story that I mean, that I had a vision for it. And it was kind of crazy when it, like, it's happening. It's because my first customer was a Shanghai company, which actually I'm going to see next week. Uh, they're an inflatable company. They provide for Fun Boy, uh, Sunny Life. Sunny Life is a huge brand for inflatables, party inflatables or fun inflatables. Anyhow, um, I started doing their content and uh, how it how it uh, it shocked me was because I was able to sell a vision to a Chinese guy where he had no idea who I was, yeah. no track record of what I was capable of doing, and. He ended up flying out to Thailand, his team to Thailand to be part of the shoot, to join the shoot. And I was like, wow, like this is really happening. Um, and it's funny because before the shoot, like I arrived, we were having troubles with the location. Um, and we didn't, have a, we didn't have a place to shoot. We didn't have a place to shoot because everything went down south at the last minute. I'm like, okay, what do I do? The customer's coming, he's bringing like three people from his team. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? 
I started asking around to like the, the, the Airbnb host and he ended up having a villa that was available for me able to shoot at. Now. Thank God. And so it's crazy how things fall into place, but it's also crazy how if you have a vision, you're able to, if you, I mean, really, I think business is about persistent perseverance. Yeah. And if you're really persistent and persevere about it, I mean, man, things will happen. Things will fall into its place. But I remember, I've done a lot, I've done, I've done about five shoots now, and it takes a lot of planning, a lot of work, and a lot of things go down south. Yeah, last minute. Weather, that's kind of one of the biggest factors. But um, yeah, it was really interesting, and, and I, I want to push it this year, scale it more to the U.S. and to other countries. But um, because other countries really understand the value of content, Chinese are still adapting to it, they're understanding it. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting kind of thing. Nice. So you're working, most of your clients are Chinese? Uh, for the shoot, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. How long does it usually take to, to get one of these people to sign up, one of these companies well, it, to sign up? It, it takes a while. Um, one of the things is that I found out is I've never been a, a person or my business has never been about trying to persuade someone to come and do business. Yeah. Just because the way I've set up my business is more to referrals uh, for the trading and the, and the fashion itself. It's yeah. more of like, oh wow, this product is good, this fit is good and so on. But with the YG Media, it was more about, um, it was a new new kind of business model. It was actually, I had to go and find yeah, the customer. Yeah, you had to do the door-to-door. Door-to-door. Yeah. The follow-up calls. Follow-up calls are so important. I mean, you have to call them. You have to do follow-up emails, like, constantly, constantly. Um, and I think that's what was the difference, like, how I was able to persuade them is just I was there, sending them video, just talking to them, never forgetting about them. Um, not being obnoxious about it. But, you know, I'll be like, hey, what's going on? You know, how are you doing? How's the company doing? How is the fair? And being like, hey, if you need a shoot, let me know. I'll send them pictures of something that we did, a previous shoot. Like, hey, these early shoots came out. Let me know if you're interested. But just doing a lot of problems. Um, definitely not easy, but hey, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. I was, because uh, I always talk about, like, if you want to do business in China, it takes time, you know? Like, you have to develop that, those relationships. That's, that's why I was asking that question. Yeah, no, definitely it takes time. But uh, with this guy, he was just so he understood it. He was open to it uh, because he he went out to study, I think, on Australia. So he had more of a little bit Western mentality. But a lot of Chinese, the ones that I've come across, they're very close-minded about it. They're like, oh, why this? Why that? But now they're gradually learning about. Okay, this is what we have to do to be stand out in the market, exactly, stand out yeah. from the competition. And then what happens is they see that guy's exactly. pictures and so they're like, "Wow, how did, where did you get this done?" And it's like, "Yeah." Yeah, and then that's how it went. I mean, I was uh, we had the first shootout, and it was crazy. It felt good because um, they other companies from the Canton when I went to the Canton Fair and I was trying to sell this same idea to other inflatable companies. They were trying to copy it, imitate it, like with the same look of catalog, with the same look, of course, in a much shitty location. But before this, none of them had it. Yeah. None of them had it. So yeah. it kind of like this guy was, I mean, this guy's good. Like I told you, he does for Walmart, he does for Costco, he does huge orders for huge brands. So he knows if he wants to excel in his business, he knows that, okay, I have to change this or I have to do this. Um, and yeah, and like now you see all these companies having these shitty catalogs. But it's like, wow, like crazy. Like I had an idea, he accepted it. It was amazing for him because it was profitable for him. And now these other companies are catching on. So yes, it made it easier once they saw it. I'm like, hey, I'm the one that did this catalog for this guy. Yeah. Like, let's do it. So it's kind of, that's how it started. That's a really, really interesting concept. Like, I, yeah, man, I mean, obviously China's providing services to Chinese businesses, being able to sell into China is such a huge opportunity it's just like it is, it is. figuring mean, it out and being here on the ground like that's no, you that's, have to be here on the ground okay. like if uh, like for example um there's a lot of brands that want to penetrate the there's a lot of brands that want to penetrate the u.s and if you're good at marketing if you're good at facebook if you're good at whatever it is so easy for you to come here 
do the proper uh, proposal for a factory and be like, hey, I know, I mean, you also have to do your research, but depending on what kind of industry you go, but most factories are, are not doing that great as they used to be doing back in the days. They're, they're okay. But yeah, it's slow down. They're doing smaller orders. Doing like smaller orders. Yeah, yeah. And if you're, I mean, if you're able to go to Dealing a with a bunch of Amazon sellers, and, you know? Yeah, and if, I mean, like, if you're able to do, come to a factory and be like, hey, I'll do your Facebook marketing, I'll do your, all your digital marketing. If you give me part of this sales or this and you hire me, and they're going to be like, okay. Because they never been, they never had someone come to them like this. Yeah. They don't know anything about digital marketing. They know about the China, but if they want to penetrate the U.S. market, they're going to have to have someone. But if someone comes here and gives them that whole lecture of like, this is what I can do for you, oh man, it's a, it's a wide-ass market. It's huge. For anybody. It's a huge market. All right, so closing out... Um, you guys, you guys have the the crew, the Europe crew, like. Yeah, yeah, we have an uh, uh, interesting Europe crew. You guys are renting out yachts and flying in private planes. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's. <laughs> what was uh, that like? It's a. Uh, it's an interesting group because we all had some kind of entrepreneur like beginning hard times like you know my young life was not that easy so was Nick like he didn't come from a business wealthy family Ryan didn't either uh, all these guys that are into this and we all kind of made something out of nothing and that's why it's such an institute group because we can understand each other's points of views and where we came from so it's an interesting group all the guys are it's a it's a it's a i like the tr i call it it's an invest it's a it's investing in a good relationship when we go out to these trips because most of the knowledge that you get when you're at these trips it's i mean it's something that is valuable very valuable um and you can't get really this anywhere else i mean those those are the guys where i learned i know we've had a a very big guy in the last trip, probably won't mention names, but he's a CEO of a huge company in Hong Kong. And uh, yeah, he's worth more than 100 million. Yeah. I mean, just being with this guy over there, you learn so much. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a great circle just because of the people that you're surrounded with and what you learn. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when we go out with these guys, it gets expensive, but again, it's worth it. It's, it's the, um, the, the knowledge that you get, it's, it's in the battery. And then, what is, um, what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your business? One of the smallest things that I've done is probably a large business. Huh, I mean, that, it's like I have different business models. Um, one of the things that I learned is stay, minimize your projects. Concentrate on one thing and do that 100%. Don't be doing 10 other things. Focus. You're not going to get anywhere. Um, I just found out that if I focus on the fashion design and that kind of the field instead of trying to do other products, uh, I mean, I, I perform much better if I'm just concentrating. Um, I mean, the time. It's like you only have a certain amount of time that you can only give in your day. So really, it's just about concentrating on one thing and that making that 100%. Immerse yourself in that industry, whatever it is. If it's uh, technology products, if it's fashion, if it's cosmetics, if it's uh, health products, whatever it is, just learn more about it. Dig yourself in it. Where do you see yourself business-wise in five, ten years? Um, I know we talk a lot about China, China being great, but I also want to get out of China. Um, just because I think China... It's uh, it's a great place for business, for production, for anything like that. But for having a family and settling settling down, as we talked about, having vegan food, you can't really have vegan food here or healthy food that much. So being somewhere where uh, it's an easier lifestyle, uh, it's one of my top goals to be at. So moving back to the United States or being somewhere out in Europe and. Yeah, I mean, that's one of, my, one of my goals, and that's where I see myself being in 10 to 5 years. 
So anyways, if people wanted to understand you better, what three books, podcasts, um, or vlogs would you recommend so they check out? One of the podcasts that I listen to a lot is uh, Self-Made Man. It talks about a lot of entrepreneurs uh, or a lot of successful guys, what they did. I think that's a really good podcast. Um, another book that I recently read that was uh, really good was called Building a Story Brand. Great book. I recommend that because it gives you so much insight in how to do copywriting. I mean, it, it gives you kind of the recipes to it. And one of the other ones that I recommend is if you're into fashion, BOF, Business of Fashion. Super interesting so, podcast. So podcast? Podcast, Business of Fashion. Um, that's one of the recommend. That's where I get most of my stuff. The reason why is because I'm always walking around metros or just moving yeah. markets. Just put my headphones and listen to all this. Take 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 all this uh, uh, information and apply it. That's the most important thing because there's so much information out there that if you don't apply it, it's useless. Nice. So, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, if people want to reach out to me, I'm very hidden. I am <laughs> off social media, don't have Facebook, don't have Instagram. Um, they can reach me at my email. I mean, I would love to, if someone's in China, I would love to meet them. Give them a little bit more advice on how China is. My email is Felipe, F-E-L-I-P-E, at i2fashion.com. Okay, cool. If you want to reach out to me, that's podcast at sourcefinasia.com. Uh, if you want to check out the show notes, get Felipe's email address and the books that he mentioned in the description, go to sourcefinasia.com slash made in China. And we're now available on Spotify. So if you want to stream us on Spotify, download the podcast on Spotify, check us out there. Cheers.